Monday. It's February 16th. And the word of the day is ultra crepidarian, or one who gives opinions beyond his or her area of expertise. Used in a sentence, ultra crepidarians should avoid using sentences wherever possible. Or, ultra crepidarians are like assholes. Everyone's got at least one in their life, and they're usually full of shit. I don't know, though. If I followed that advice, I could only talk about scrotal fungi on this show. I'm No Illusions. I'm Heath Enright. And broadcasting, delayed from America's far center, we are the Skeptocrats. On episode four, we'll learn all about setting babies on fire for fun and profit. Scott Walker gets sacked on third and long by a British journalist. We'll reveal ourselves to be pro-nipple. And James Inhofe convinces President Obama we need to beat Russia to the moon. But first, the duo tribe. A recent survey shows that 49% of Americans are in the minority, and that as many as a third of those are in the extreme minority. The same study also reveals that slightly under half of all Americans live on less than median household income. What's more, the vast majority of Americans wish they were a little bit taller. Many of these same people also wish they were a baller. Another survey shows that the average American household has three-tenths of a kid stashed away somewhere in their seemingly normal suburban home. And a recent survey shows that, on average, climate change denialists know more about climate change than people who believe in global warming. Oh, well, if it was in a survey. <laughs> All right. True. So let's tease apart what we can of this survey. And we should point out that the paper that we're going to be talking about hasn't been published yet. So all we have to go on is what's revealed in the press release. But even that's pretty damning. Yeah. So the survey asked 2,000 people nine questions about climate science as it relates to global climate change. The average person only answered a scant four questions correctly, but the average climate change skeptic got a whopping four and a half questions correct. Oh, oh well. Almost within their margin of error. Yeah, so we're clearly not dealing with overwhelming numbers, but we don't even know if we're dealing with meaningful questions here. The press release listed two questions on which the denialists, who they misidentified as skeptics, outperformed the average guy on the street. And I don't know that either of them actually accurately judge one's knowledge of climate science. No, we are not dealing with meaningful questions. One was whether sea level would rise if the North Pole ice cap melted. Of course, the answer is no, because the North Pole ice cap is floating in the sea already, but who the hell even talks about the North Pole ice cap in isolation like that? People right. talk about polar ice caps melting, so maybe it's not a trick question exactly, but it's a lot closer to that than it is to an accurate measure of how much someone knows about climate science. Right, and of course, if a significant percentage of the people miss this distinction on the North Pole-only question, the denialist will accidentally get that one right more often. Right. The other example they gave was... Even a little bit worse, maybe. The, the question was, do climate scientists believe that global climate change will lead to an increased risk of skin cancer? And, I mean, I guess no is the answer, but is that really a top nine in terms of questions that reflect general knowledge of climate science? I that's, would say no. That's just knowing a bad thing that climate change doesn't cause. That's nothing. Right. That's yeah, exactly. Just noise. So yeah, even the press release would give you a lot of reasons to doubt the ver veracity of the conclusions. But once you hear the conclusions, you realize that it wouldn't matter as they seem to be completely unrelated to the data. Right. So Yale professor Dan Cahan is the author on this one. And on the surface, this study is designed to see if climate change denialists are ignorant about climate science. But 
when he sees this feeble statistical difference, he concludes that the debate has become so politically polarized that, quote, people pick their side based on politics rather than what they know about science, end quote. Uh, so, <laughs> and this reveals just how much of a crazy bias we're dealing with here. If, if I know that you accept man-made global climate change, that doesn't really tell me much about your political ideology necessarily. But if you reject it, you're almost certainly far right. It's right. Guaranteed. Yes. yes, exactly. And let's face it. If you say that man-made global climate change isn't happening, then you don't know that much about climate <laughs> science. Of course, no, neither Heath nor I are qualified to dispute the findings of a Yale professor of law and psychology. After all, according to Dan Cahan's under-review for having been written almost entirely by Dan Cahan Wikipedia article, <laughs> the following words actually good, appear. Good source, Wikipedia. Quote, Cahan receives great attention from his students. He is considered lively and popular teacher at all the law schools he has taught in. End quote. Sick, oh, okay. by the way. Like, like a blanket sick over that whole quote. Right. Well, even if his findings are dead on, uh, that still wouldn't matter at all, would it? Because the important question here is how much these deniers know compared to climatologists right. that actually know. But his study didn't tackle that at all. Instead, it didn't really tackle anything. Look, I mean, if I had to guess, I'd imagine climate change denialists know more about the science than your average man on the street because rejecting an overwhelming scientific consensus takes a lot more homework than accepting one. Well, so, right. Yeah, exactly. So stuff. what would this prove anyway? The average Kennedy conspiracy theorist definitely knows more than me about the Kennedy assassination. It's their <laughs> thing. The average Bigfoot hunter knows way more than me about the latest Bigfoot evidence because if you just looked at the evidence once and you saw that there was no Bigfoot, you generally stop giving a shit. And yet, as obvious as this seems when you give it some thought, it trips us up constantly because when your buddy tells you that shape-shifting lizards from the core of the Earth were behind 9-11, how could you not assume you're looking at a winnable argument? You're yeah, right, right, right exactly. Absolutely not. That's false. You're false. Right, it, false. right, yeah, because you start off trying to be nice, and then a couple of minutes in, he's asking you to explain the presence of iron microspheres in Building 7 debris and why Larry Silverstein changed his dermatologist appointment that day. Meanwhile, you're on the phone still desperately Googling the melting point of aluminum. Right, and while you're doing that... Anyone unfortunate enough to witness this ridiculous exchange is thinking to themselves, well, man, this uh, lizard interterrestrial overlord guy really knows his shit. So he's right. some yes. good points, and this guy's just Googling and, aluminum. And if you're anything like me, at a certain point in this discussion, you're just going to throw up your hands, and you're going to point out that all of the people who actually know anything about this subject and aren't crazy agree with your side, and you just dream of a world where this would be a universally accepted trump card. Right. Shouldn't that win? It really should. But instead, it's taken as evidence that you're just trusting whatever the Illuminati scientist is spoon-feeding you. Right. All of a sudden, the guy who doesn't trust a website unless a certain percent of the text is flashing and it's impossible to navigate away from, he's telling you that you're gullible. Are you sure you want to leave? A Positive. Course, a well-versed skeptic can generally deflect the specific bullshit, you know, find the flaw in the reasoning, demonstrate the irrelevance of the anomaly hunting, and then true jitsu the shit out of them. But that's a skill that you have to learn like any other. And I can say from experience, there are a few things more humbling than publicly losing an argument to an idiot that's definitely wrong. <laughs> Yeah, it's very easy to underestimate the depth of the bullshit here. But keep in mind that these same people are generally really smart about things that aren't lizard overlord related. They, right. they used what they thought was a rational process to get there. And if you want to go find them, you have to be willing to wander into that same crazy maze. You have to be willing to dive almost as deep into their delusions as they are, or, or at least 
just change the subject when the Fed comes. That's up. the easier <laughs> way to do it. Yeah, Sometimes it reminds me of a relevant quote from the Art of War, and you'll have to forgive the pronunciation here because I don't speak or read Chinese, but. Two boxes next to an upside-down tea, stick man in a beret pole dancing, sideways equals sign one-legged ostrich drinking out of a dresser, man with an erection and a dynamite plunger, sideways H pissing upwards vertical line, which means victorious fighters win first and then go to war. 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 <laughs> Death monkey. <laughs> Wealth distribution is one of those issues that exposes a very fundamental divide between the conservative and liberal political philosophies. In general, the conservative sees wealth disparity as a very useful result of the game being played, and the liberal sees it as evidence that the game being played isn't constructed fairly. When this topic takes the form of an argument between two people on opposite sides, it often goes something like this. The liberal says... Wealth disparity continues to get worse in this country. The free market outcome is obviously shitty for most people, so the government should try to alleviate this. We, we need a more progressive tax system. And the conservative says, if wealthy people and successful businesses start getting overtaxed and making less money, they won't have the same incentive to make the economy bigger. They won't create new jobs. But if the government would just step away and let business operate freely, it leads to more money for everyone. Liberal. Forget about making the pie bigger. We'll talk about that later. Just slice up the current pie better, and we can fix this now. Conservative. Fix what? And right there, right there, that's the fundamental divide. We're not even defining success the same way. The socialist liberal is looking to fix society in a way that looks closer to how we learn to share as children in kindergarten. The libertarian conservative is looking to keep the ball rolling on what they see as a very elegant model of useful competition and considers large amounts of losers to be a necessary part of that competition. And if you try to artificially remove the losers, then the ball slows down or stops and nobody wins. In other words, one side wants things to be more just and the other side sees the free market as having all the necessary justice already built into the system. So with this philosophical impasse in mind, We've reconstructed a discussion of wealth distribution with communist, anarchist, and moderate-friendly versions. So the commies can remove their right headphone, and the robber barons can remove their left headphone. And if you just want to hear all the information, continue listening in stereo. Unfortunately for our great, flawed country, that Muslim in the White House, President Obama, has an agenda that shows just how much of a radical Bolshevik capitalist sellout he really is. Just look at Obamacare. Classic example of the government doing too little. Might as well just offer the whole country full-blown universal health care. Full-blown universal health care. Or take an issue like the death estate tax. If we don't abolish, increase the death estate tax, millions of dollars will continue to be stolen from deserving successful people. The taxpayer. That money could be spent on creating more jobs. Everyone buying stuff. What these liberals, conservatives, don't realize is that this country is built on the hard work of capitalist entrepreneurs, hard workers. If the owners, workforce, all decided to leave, the whole economy would be screwed. Workers, owners, are easily replaceable. So, what's the solution? Socialism? Socialism. Sadly, most people don't even know what that means. So, I'm going to explain it to you. According to Fox News, Karl Marx, socialism is the dangerous, necessary, transitional phase during which an economy shifts away from honest competition, oppression of the masses, on its way to communism. But that's more of a technical definition. As it applies today in the United States, 
Socialism is the delusional concept, current practice, in which the bloated, elected government finds a way to stifle, participate in, the market as part of a misguided, valiant attempt to make things fair, fair. And these naive liberals, heartless conservatives, can't seem to realize that life isn't fair, period, enough. Not everyone has the same advantages. So it's our job as a society to fix this? So it's our job as a society to fix this. Joining me for headlines tonight is fellow skeptic rat, No Illusions. Noah, you just took the gold or maybe silver medal at the latest episode of Incredulous with Andy Wilson. Release date TBA. What are you going to do next? I'm going to go get measles <laughs> and vomit from a combination of overpriced turkey legs and masochistic inflation of centrifugal force. I know so it's a faux force. force. Yes, faux it's a faux force. Hold on. So, before we get headlines started, let's check in with Twitter and see what they're doing to <laughs> help Skynet reach the singularity. Trending this week was hashtag British sexual positions. But that sounds boring as shit and way too polite, so we decided to change it up a little. Instead of the British, we'll be featuring our redneck empire loyalist friends to the great white north. So, Noah... Hashtag Canadian sexual positions. Player pass. All right, so British was too polite and you went Canadian? All right, uh, I'll, I'll play, I'll play. Um, see, they're all a boot the boot up there, and I'm guessing it would be something that involves maple syrup. We'd almost so have to. We'd almost have to. I'm going to say tossing the Saskatoon. <laughs> well Thank you. All right, well, uh, well, most girls tell you they never do this, but I'm going with the Regina monologues. <laughs> you do it. You do it. Don't. You're multi-orgasmic. We're not buying it. And those icicles. Fuck, it's snowing 18 months a year. What the hell else are you going to do? Chill those. And this week's random stranger winner was at Sir Mike Green, who went with four minutes in the penalty box, which I hope was a clever way of implying in the box with two minors back to back, because oh. that would have been real. <laughs> either way, either way, we should all learn a valuable lesson here. Two minors doesn't make a major. Not in hockey, especially not in the box. I am trying my best not to picture the logistics on that one. In our lead story tonight, the U.S. could totally kick Russia's ass. Damn I right. mean, clearly we can fuck your shit up economically, but we could also kick your ass with weapons and bombs and stuff if we needed to. So don't make us need to. Don't you think dawn. we couldn't? Now, this is the clear and univocal message from Washington this week, even as a tentative ceasefire is announced quick before anybody could break it last Friday. <laughs> I like this fresh new thinking. So we're going to get into some military posture bluffing with Russia. Yeah. What could go it's wrong? This New is ideas. Always new idea. ideas. The don't make me come up there foreign policy strategy was apparently implemented when the moving our pieces onto Russia's squares while they were in the bathroom <laughs> strategy became untenable late last year. Ukraine is strong. <laughs> This bluster about providing what we're apparently calling lethal aid, that sounds good, kind of, comes immediately on the heels of Obama seeking a three-year authorization for yet another transnational war against a poorly defined enemy. Four hours after this announcement, physicians around the country were swamped with calls from dangerously erect arms manufacturers. And, Priopism, they And that's call a it. weird type of arm to manufacture. These are strange people. You don't want to get involved with these guys. Some weird shit going yes, on. Yes, but your politicians do. Now, as near as I can tell, the idea here is that by arming the Ukrainians, we would be, you know, driving up the cost for the Russian-backed separatists, exacerbating the economic crisis in Putin's backyard. Because apparently, when you're dealing with a bellicose, arrogant, pugnacious world leader with a shaky hold on power and a nuclear arsenal <laughs> facing what he believes to be an existential crisis, you definitely want to make him desperate. The more desperate, 
the pugnacious guy with the nuclear arms. already pissed about the sharks with the laser beams. Didn't happen. The buddy toilets at the Olympics. He looked like an idiot. Embarrassing. Maybe we just let him annex a satellite so he feels better. Yeah, right, right. Well, it's definitely cheaper. Providing a funny if nobody was going to die because of it glimpse into the near criminal negligence with which this topic is being debated on the Hill. Senator James Science stole my Bible in a half, presented a series of photographs he claimed were exclusive evidence that Russia was moving into the Ukraine in force. After allegations arose suggesting that these photos were actually six-year-old pictures of the Russo-Georgian War, Inhofe's office responded with a statement that read, in part, quote, look, what's that over there? You can see and the Berlin quote, Wall in yeah, the background. Right, yes. <laughs> no good. With more on this story, we turn to our live roving reporter, Lucinda Lusions, who is standing by at James Inhofe's Ukrainian fact-finding headquarters. Oh, Lucinda, good. how are things looking down there? It's a flurry of activity, Heath. Information is coming in so fast they can barely keep up with it. So what are you hearing now? Well, Heath, it seems like in the past few hours the situation has gone from bad to worse. Since last I spoke with you, Vladimir Putin has moved forces into Crimea in some sort of bloodless occupation. I don't need to tell you that tensions Uh, are high here. Lucinda, that happened a year ago. What's that, Heath? Russia moved forces into Crimea last year. This thing says February 2014. There it is. Yeah, sorry. Hold on. I'm being handed an update. Sorry about the mistake. Hey, at least the thing you said was true. That makes you overqualified, if anything, to anchor NBC News. So that's pretty good. Wow. Yeah. So I'm sorry, Heath. I've got more recent update in my hands, and it looks like the crisis is over. Ukraine has declared its independence from the USSR. And you can imagine there's jubilation. That was in 1991, Lucinda. Are you sure? Yes, quite certain. Damn it. Calm down, guys. Cork that champagne. That one's outdated. There's still a crisis. Sorry sorry to break it to you. Way off. No, not your fault, Heath. So so let me see what we've got coming in now. See if we've got something a little more up to the minute for you. I'm starting to doubt that you do. Okay, I'm being handed another... No, wait a second. Catherine the Great is from history, isn't she? She is from history. This one's no good either. Uh, we're we're sorry, Heath. Bit of confusion here. Uh, but we do have something coming across the line now. Is it from this century, by any chance? Guys, this is no good. Look, if it has czars in it, it's probably no good. Czars. Sorry, Heath. One minute. Lucinda, I'm starting to doubt the methodology that Inhofe's oh, office gotta go, is... Oh, gotta go, Heath. The Scythians are moving in from the east, and the local tribes don't stand a chance against their light cavalry. I don't think that's correct either. Thank you for that, Lucinda. In separation of science and state news tonight, yet another GOP presidential hopeful was tripped up by those tricky British journalists and their controversial trap questions about well-established facts of reality. This time it was Scott Walker who was asked directly if he accepts the idea of evolution, to which he responded, quote, I'm going to have to punt on that. Yes, he did. He's punting. Uh The guy who's running for president of the United States just went uh, three and out on the central organizing principle of biology. And he did it using an American football analogy in London. Right, just to make it dumber. (laughs) Yeah, right, right. Yeah, England is fast becoming the place American conservative candidacies go to die. Yeah, remember they sent Romney over there and he started talking shit about how the security of his Olympics was way better than this lax crap he saw in the city 46 times bigger. Right. And just like, uh, just so far this year, we've got, uh, you know, Christie's balanced approach to not dying of polio. You got Bobby Jindal's Muslim no-go zones. And now you got Scott Walker's feeble attempt to find a way to say Jesus, Jesus, 9-11, Jesus in British English. Right. It's really getting embarrassing. So that was pretty depressing to hear. Yeah. Likewise, to consider that 
Jeb Bush now sits firmly as the party's intellectual frontrunner. Um, but I did enjoy the moment when the moderator refused to let Walker off the hook on this one at all, and he pointed out that every single elected official in the UK on both sides of the political aisle wouldn't in any way be forced to punt (laughs) on being fully aware that evolution is real or on all the other stuff that scientists overwhelmingly agree on. Basically, we have conservatives and liberals here, yeah, but your party doesn't even exist. What is that? We wouldn't even know what to call it. I don't even know. How are you guys half of the parties there? That's nuts. I ask myself that all the time. And then you got Walker dancing around saying, well, I don't think this is a question politicians should weigh in on. You know, Well, yeah, why would you want to know about facts and knowledge and no, stuff? And why would anybody relevant. be interested in assessing your knowledge of said facts? And <laughs> so, Taking a cue from, I guess, Chris Christie's recent UK gaffe and failed retraction policy, Walker did the same thing. He just made it way worse last Wednesday when he tried to walk back his ignorance punt by making the following statement on Twitter. Quote, both science and percent my faith dictate my belief that we are created by God. I believe faith and percent science are compatible and percent go hand in hand, end quote. So, quick review, exact opposite. Yes. Exact opposite. Faith is the opposite of the scientific method. And one other quick review, the punt he came up with was... Just about the only call worse than Pete Carroll's. Even oh, Pete sure. Carroll knows oh, wow. you don't send out the special teams punt unit there. That's ridiculous. Just in case there were any Seattle fans out there that had finally gone 24 hours without thinking about that call. <laughs> had bit, you guys forgotten about that? Well, you just lost the game. You lost that game right. and you lost this game. Rubbing it in right. <laughs> and in immolation is the sincerest form of flattery news tonight. Two parents in India are finally getting their one-month-old child back from the hospital after they say he spontaneously burst into flames last month and had to be treated for severe burns that resulted from the acute case of spontaneous human combustion syndrome, or SHC, they think he had contracted. Wow. However, considering the same thing happened to the kid's older brother in 2013, experts are considering the possibility that SHC might be a genetic disease, or perhaps that these parents are... Enormous liars who light their kids on fire to scam themselves government aid money. Yeah. I think I'd rather believe that there's some chance of me just bursting into flames at any moment than believe I share Earth with people who would do shit that horrible. But unfortunately, reality doesn't give two shits about what I'd rather believe. Yeah. That indifference you're feeling, by the way, that's God. (laughs) Anyway, among those experts to doubt the parents and their disco inferno explanation were... All the doctors at the hospital. Right. And just about all the doctors. For example, here's a statement from one of the physicians that treated the older brother in 2013. Quote, there is no such thing as spontaneous human combustion. When Rahul was admitted to the hospital last year, we clearly told the parents that it looked like someone was deliberately setting the infant on fire. End quote. We're not saying it's you guys who did it, but someone... Set your baby on fire during the last 12 days since he was born. Can you, can you just try to remember back? Try to think back. Any, you know, I don't know, torch juggling babysitters? Did you guys do any hiking through fire swamps as a family vacation in the 12 days? Think hard. So Something we can't, you know, like maybe. Imagine it was ignitionless fire. I'm just spitballing here, just throwing shit out, but maybe if the government there 
removed the existing financial incentives for setting your kids on fire. Because when they set the first fucking kid on fire, this is actually true, they told the government that he had a rare case of SHC, and the government gave them a house and financial assistance in raising their disabled child and his poor condition of spontaneously catching on fire. So maybe not rewarding baby flampe as a matter of policy. Just I'm, like help, I said, I, it's an idea. And Kick just it around. in case anyone's curious... There is some scientific literature out there about this SHC phenomenon, and it says there isn't SHC. Right. However, there's also some fictional literature as well, and it firmly supports infantile pyrotechnic wizardry. Larry Arnold's 1995 book called Ablaze! An exclamation. (laughs) Explains SHC by making up the word pyrotron and calling it a new subatomic particle that magically causes fire. No explanation of how a baby initiates atomic fission. Regardless, whether or not you're using it as an alibi, if you tell police and doctors, my kid just burst into flames spontaneously because of subatomic pyrotrons, you probably shouldn't get to be a parent anymore. Doesn't doesn't matter if you actually did anything wrong yet. Right, just, I would just say. the That's formulation of that sentence should be enough. Alone. And in schlong arm of the law news tonight, state lawmaker David Moore assures Americans that he was only fucking with us when he proposed a law that would have banned nipples from the great state of Montana. The bill, which came in response to a bunch of naked cyclists at a Dare to Bear event, sought to stiffen Montana's anti-penis laws by making it illegal to swing pipe publicly in the state. Stiffen. Oh, and also no butts and no nipples. Or clothing that fails to cover the nipple with something opaque. Nope. Or clothes that have dicks or butts or nipples or vaginas on them. <laughs> or that, quote, give the appearance of or simulate body parts such as genitals, buttocks, and nipples, end quote, that actually appeared in legislation. <laughs> All right, well, that's a relief. Yeah, right? For a second there, I was worried that if I went to Montana, I wouldn't be allowed to wear my T-shirt with a picture of myself wearing assless chaps on a Harley anymore <laughs> while I ride a Harley, and that would have been... Devastating thing. For all, for all, for everyone, yes. Critics of the legislation pointed out that the overly broad language not only made all Montanans seem like antiquated prudes, but also the anti-nipple legislation is more than a little sexist, as it would (laughs) only apply to women. Moore first tried to counter criticism of the sexist nature of this bill by pointing out that, quote, a lot of guys walk around without shirts and some of, some of them definitely shouldn't, end quote. <laughs> and then, somehow not realizing that this tactic That's... wasn't making him seem less like an asshole, so he added worse. that men's Speedo bathing suits should also be illegal. <laughs> okay, but we can't just outlaw people with unattractive features that aren't invisible. Right, That's yes, not, we exactly. Can't but, but even if we could, we should still allow... Female breasts in almost every case, right? They're they're either attractive or they're funny. Either way, <laughs> that whole subway car appreciates it. I'm just saying. Who doesn't like breasts? That's crazy. The legislature moved to shelve the bill last week, possibly when Moore realized that if dicks weren't allowed in public, he'd have to wear a burqa. But the important takeaway is that there is naked people riding bikes through Montana, and That's I right. like it. But I, no, but I have to say, the Dare to Bear title is a little blasé. So we sent our team of unpaid, underage, Guatemalan orphan refugees to come up with a better title for next year's nude bike-a-thon. <laughs> Heath, what did they come up with? All right, so um, Raul had a good one. He's he's the one with the cleft palate, right? That's Raul. Raul the is the taller palate. one with the cleft the palate. Taller one with the, yes. All right, so mm-hmm. Raul came up with Moons of Anarchy Marathon. Cog out with your hog out, which I thought was pretty good. Yeah, no, that kid has a fucked up yeah, sense Raul's of humor promising. when he starts drinking. Uh, what else? What else? <laughs> There's uh, – all right, this one's from Guillermo. 
the handlebar mustache ride. Oh, nice. All folds handled and no folds bar. That's <laughs> how we roll. I like it. It reminds us that everyone's welcome, encourages people to do some fancy <laughs> stuff with their Absolutely. pubes. Right. I like it. That's good. <laughs> All right. So uh, Carlos came up with this one. Um, the Chode Warriors race. Two testicles, one lance askance. See, now I am not familiar Bronx with the Coney Island. slang terms for small dick, so I have no idea what chode means. Next. <laughs> All right, so, so Dave went with Wait a minute. The... Wait, wait, one of our Guatemalan orphans is named Dave? <laughs> yeah, the new guy. We, we hired a new guy? It's a strong union. So, so Dave's <laughs> naked bikeathon title was the Skin Twin Sit and Spin Classic. Oh, nice. A spoke of penis. Oh, nice. It was even more oh, to yeah, it than that. I love it. <laughs> Sounds like a good hire. Excellent. Anything no, else? I'm, I'm happy with Dave, the Guatemalan. And finally, this one's my favorite. Take a naked ride with the pedal files. Nowhere near as bad as it sounds. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, of course, is classic Gabriella. You knew that. Oh, yeah, of course. She's certainly earned a double portion of gruel tonight. <laughs> And that's going to do it for episode four. Thanks to No Illusions for all the researching, writing, recording, editing, and general doing of all the stuff. Thanks to his lovely wife, Lucinda, for traveling where most people would only go during a game of Risk. And thanks to all the listeners that liked us on Facebook, followed us on Twitter, and sent us feedback on the other various internets. Please keep doing that. Please keep listening. And please keep telling your friends. And if you're feeling that same chemistry that I'm feeling, and I think you are, please feel free to send us gifts of earthly currency at our donation page at patreon.com slash skeptocrat. And whether or not you're feeling financially benevolent, if you enjoyed our brand of whimsy and you'd like to hear more unsolicited dick jokes free of charge, check out our sister podcast, The Scathing Atheist, available on iTunes, Stitcher, or directly from scathingatheist.com. We just have one last thing. Special thanks to Ryan Slotnick of Evil Drafts on Mars. He's a hard penis to get your hands on, but we got lucky. He is the creator of the infectious musical stylings you heard today, and we do have his permission. You can check him out using the links we'll provide or by Googling the only band called Evil Drafts on Mars. Until next week, catchphrase sign-off. Joining me for headlines tonight. Oh, sorry. One we other are thing. not ready. Quite no, ready. I'm sorry. No I forgot. No I was worries. mic'd up. I jumped up. the gun. I jumped the gun. I was excited. No.